You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan wishing you a very happy Valentine's Day and to celebrate the occasion tonight, having observed Dry Annuary, Ron Forrestal is standing by to talk vino with us. I'll be putting a call into Rebecca Cronin to find out about the programme for this year's Lit Fest. A visit to Listowel results in a discussion about romantic food and dining experiences with award-winning Limerick author Roisin Meany and Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen. And finally, then at the end of the show, I'll be chatting to Caroline Gray about the February issue of Easy Food magazine. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonanlive.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So as I said, the first guest on the show is Ron Forrestal. And as many listeners were observing dry annuary and being very abstemious for the month of January, we gave Ron the month off. So we won't delay him any further and get him into the hot seat to tell us about what sort of wines we should be enjoying in February. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Hello, Ron. Hi, Sharon. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes, it's a great time of year. We're going to France then to talk about wines that are not just suitable for Valentine's Day, but for lots of other times of the year. Yes, France is probably the um, the, the heritage of most all grape varieties come from. Um, it's hugely important, um, hugely confusing for people as well, which makes it uh, not always the first choice for, for people who are particularly starting out drinking wine. Um, and we just want to dispel a few of the myths and make it a bit easier to choose something. So does wine come from France? Is France the the first country that wine was ever made in? Um, well, there's a question about that. Uh, there's a question that China had done something first. Um, Italy would, would uh, argue that point. But just look at the grape varieties, the most common grape varieties in the world, which are Sauvignon, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Shiraz, which is actually Syrah, all French grape varieties. Um, so for that reason, they probably have the uh, the, the right to call it. They were the uh, the originators of most of those. Because that's very interesting about China. It is, yeah, yeah. They founded hundreds of hundreds of years before anybody else. It was a it was a process of producing fruit into wine. Do you stock any Chinese wines? No, but actually, it's much more. Uh, it's coming into the market uh, in a fairly sizable way. Uh, there's a number of uh, Europeans have gone to China, uh, winemakers, uh, marketing people are helping out with Chinese wineries. So you never know in the future we could be talking about Chinese wines? Yes, but if you think about it, like the, for them to create enough to actually export anything would be amazing. So it'll take years for them to get to that point. And with with anything with like anything that you grow, the weather conditions, the soil, all of those are going to impact on the flavours yeah, of the wine. So even though those certain grapes might have started in France and then mm, they're yeah, using yeah. that grape variety in Australia, it's a Sauvignon Blanc for France, it's a Sauvignon Blanc from Australia. They're two distinctive tastes. Absolutely, they change an awful lot, and it's not so much even that the grape variety that the actual plant itself changes that much it's the grapes themselves as they're growing and the weather they get like in france the the issue france have is really that their weather changes from year to year they just don't have the consistency that south africa have that chile argentina or australia have or even spain for that matter so it makes where you'd find a really good 2014 sauvignon blanc and you really liked it and you were drinking it or a cabernet sauvignon or merlot and then when you vintage moves to another one, it might be might be quite different than it was um, because of, of weather conditions. I was only talking to a French guy a couple of hours ago about the uh, Bordeaux 2016 vintage, and it looks like it's about 10% more expensive than the 2015. Interesting. Because the weather, the weather yeah. is better. Okay. So. And Beaujolais, there used to be lots of mm. hype around Beaujolais whenever it came out. Yes. And about buying it and keeping it for X number of years. Is that still the case? Or well, the Beaujolais thing is supposed to be drank very quickly. Um, the, the Beaujolais Nouveau was released uh, every autumn. Um, it was a huge deal years ago of, of trying to get the first few cases of the Beaujolais to Ireland as fast as possible. So you could be drinking it on the same night it was launched as, as in Europe. Um, people flew over and collected it. It was, it was a real... Um, it's just a real event, uh, whereas now it's it's it passes by with nobody even noticing it. Yeah, all. I do remember a lot of hype around the Beaujolais. 
Yes, would you believe it? A number of, of people in the wine business uh, lost their life actually in a plane crash heading to Beaujolais to pick up wine for that particular reason. Um, God, that must be 25 years My ago. My God. Yeah. So in addition to Beaujolais, yes. what, what well, other wines are, are most associated with? Well, you have some, some very wine regions that you know of and you've heard of before. Uh, so for whites, you have uh, the Loire Valley, where Sancerre comes from, Poulafoumé, Muscadet, all those names that you'd see on supermarket shelves. Um, mainly Sauvignon Blanc is the main grape variety. They tend to be very fresh. They're from the north of France. Um, pretty acidic, work very well with food, but really, really nice products. And they start off reasonably priced enough, but they can pay anything for them. You can buy Poulafoumé, Barandel, costing you know, 70, 80 euros a bottle that kind of price and every year this, this stuff is very popular the small quantities of it sent to Ireland because they only produce a certain amount I was talking to somebody recently who would have had a dinner with Charlie Hockey at a time oh. and he said it would start it off with a bottle of Veuve Clicquot then next it was the Poulet Fumé mm. and I just can't remember what the red was give me an example of a very good red ought to be a Bordeaux no doubt be a Chateau Lynch badge something recognisable okay. that they would they would have yeah, yeah. Uh, his, his main um, um, haunt in, in Dublin was Le Cocardie a restaurant owned course, by John Howard yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was famous for his cellar mm-hmm. absolutely okay. famous uh, famous uh, cellar that got flooded actually uh, uh, later down and most of the products were damaged but he's an amazing cellar but he had an amazing clientele why did that close down? I, I, I can't remember when it closed or... I think it was that uh, flood uh, that, that really did it. Um, I, I think business had changed. Um, John Howard was, was, had been a legend in the business, you know, and I think he, he moved on. Uh, Charlie Hawhey wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, Prime Minister for anymore, so that was going to be an issue for him. So, and a few other things... Um, other restaurants opened up. I, I'd imagine Derry Clark got involved around that kind of time. And there was more competition yeah, then. moved on. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it's not a, a restaurant that I ever remember being in existence whenever I would have been looking for restaurants, or maybe yeah. I was just never in that sort of market. It's a wine merchant's uh, building now. It's, it's uh, Morgan Wine Merchants are there. Okay. But other regions in France, if you move on then, like the ones that you'd really recognise are like Burgundy, where you'd have all Chablis comes from, Macon, Looney, uh, Fleury, all the names you'd recognise from there. And then Bordeaux, which is, you know, left bank, right bank, all the names, Latour, Mouton Rothschild, that you can pay absolutely anything for. Uh, starting off at eight or nine euros a bottle and going up to anything you can imagine. A couple hundred thousand a bottle in some cases. Yeah, that's it's just crazy money, isn't it? It is really. And I mean, just whenever you open, I'm sure you've tasted a bottle of wine that cost two grand at some stage in your career. Yeah, we've had tastings that have that have gone up to that limit where they, they tend to do a lot of um, age tastings where you'd have the current vintage that you'd be drinking, say 2010, and then going back to 2005, 2095. They would be the ones that would stick out. And whenever that glass is sitting in front of you and with such a high value, I'd say you make sure that your palate and everything is totally ready for it. But what's what's it feel like to taste something that's that expensive? Well, see, it's a funny thing. It's it's if you get a really good bottle of Bordeaux at that's costing like thirty five or forty euros a bottle, and you're into really good product at that stage, uh, there tend to be a blend of of a two to three grape varieties. You have Cabernet, Merlot, Syrah, you may have Cabernet Franc used as well. Now, that bottle that was 30 or 40 euros has an equivalent bottle from a different um, producer, different house, a different chateau. And because it's a different chateau, um, and for whatever reason that could be, it could be the where it's situated in Bordeaux, what section of Bordeaux it's in, whether it's Poyac, uh, Saint-Julien, or, or Saint-Emilion, depending on where it is in Bordeaux, and that exact same mix could be in a different bottle um, and could cost 10 times as much. And that has a whole variety of reasons why that is. And oftentimes it's not necessarily the quality of the product that's doing it. It's a load of other factors, like scarcity, reputation. Um, marketing isn't the right word because they've never really marketed those products. They don't really have to market them. Is it an ego collector's item Absolutely, type? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is, there, there's no more ground. So if you have anybody, like if you have Lynch Badge, like you mentioned earlier, they have no extra area to produce grapes in. So this is it. What they produce is what they produce. So what happens is that they need to make a certain amount of money in a year, obviously, to keep everything going. 
So if the product is good and people want it, then supply and demand, people pay more for it. And it's going all over the world. It's been bought on Premier all over the world, in um, Asia, particularly in China, and, uh, and they're willing to pay for products that they can recognise. You visited France yourself recently. Yeah, just last week. And where we were going to was uh, the Languedoc. So if you take an area that runs almost from the Spanish um, uh, to the Italian border, all that area across the bottom of France uh, is an area, general uh, classification called Languedoc, has a lot of areas within it. It's a huge production of wine, produces 10 times more wine than Australia does, that region on its Are own. Are you serious? Huge. And if you, if you drive down there, like to, to Béziers, you know, if you go the south of France, Montpellier, Marseille, just drive outside of the cities or, or if you look out of the train if you're travelling on the TGV and you'll see grapes growing everywhere. It's just, that's their, that's their business. Um, olives and grapes tends to be their business. Um, but you have a lot more energetic, young French producers that, that work in the south of France. An amazing place. And we went there to find a couple of French products that we needed. Um, and we went to a show in, in, um, in uh, Montpellier called Vinisud, which is on every year, but they had two and a half thousand exhibitors. There's two and a half thousand wineries that are trying to sell their products. It's a lot of wine to taste. It's a lot of wine, but you need to be organised, because if you arrive there just looking around you, you just you have to be pre-organised. And we had, luckily, we had a number of things already set up to meet there. But we found two products, luckily. We found two. And is that, like, two doesn't seem very many whenever there's over 2,000 there, but was did you feel that there was just room in your portfolio exactly. for we two more? Exactly, we were specifically more? looking for two. Now we carry, we carry already have five uh, products in the south, five ranges, I mean, now from the south of France, uh, but we needed two more because we have a lot of business around each other, a lot of business like places like Ballybunion where you'd have five or six restaurants in the same stretch and we can't sell the same products, then we have need to sell different products. So tell me then, what's your personal favourite French wine? Well, as as it's it, the the day that's in it, um, I think Champagne has got a terrible bad um, um, uh, press over the last few years. Price is a huge issue with it because it is pretty expensive. Um, but people are drinking a lot of Prosecco. Prosecco is a completely different product to Champagne. It's a much sweeter, much easier to drink product, where Champagne is much drier and has a real biscuity kind of feel to it. Um, but there's nothing like it. If you get a glass of champagne, it doesn't even have to be, you don't have to go over the top on it at all, but like the name mentioned, like that Clico, Clico is a fantastic product. Uh, we have one called Henry Gutorb, which is a much cost much less, and it's a smashing product. It's a great glass. Now, you won't drink, it's not as easy to drink as, as Prosecco, so you won't drink as much of it all, but it's really worth it, and really worth it for an occasion. You can't beat the label having the champagne written on the label. Is it made with the Chardonnay grape? Yeah, and Pinot Noir in some cases, um, which is a red grape, but the, it doesn't affect the colour of the champagne at all. So you're a champagne man? Oh, no, you know, listen, there's only certain occasions where it actually works out, but I just think it's, it, like, if you're going to have a special occasion and you want to have a glass, a bottle of champagne out of a normal champagne glass, you get six or seven glasses out of it, and it's just something really nice. And uh, it's, it's worth the investment well of course Valentine's Day is the perfect day to go out and acquire a bottle so if there's anybody listening there that maybe woke up this morning and forgot it was Valentine's Day go down to your (laughs) nearest champagne supplier and pick up a bottle absolutely so great to talk to you about French wines so maybe next month we'll go to Italy talk about Italian or Spanish wines perhaps yeah Italy is is the plan next Italy is an amazing country with such a diversity of wine it's it's phenomenal but getting much more popular in Ireland uh, outside of Pinot Grigio which is just a law unto itself uh, for the amount of Pinot Grigio that sells but outside of that the reds in particular are just smashing reds okay great well we'll look forward to that so until then thanks a million Ron. thanks Sharon cheers chin chin salut schleinte thanks again to Ron and we look forward to his return in March to talk about Italian wines and still to come tonight we have that visit to Le Stoel where I have a discussion about romantic food and dining experiences with Roisin Mini and Lizzie Lyons and finally at the end of the programme Caroline Gray editor of Easy Food magazine has details about what we can expect to enjoy in the February issue next though we're going to find out more about the programme for one of the highlight events in Ireland's food and drink calendar this is the fifth year of Lit Fest and it's taking place from the 19th to the 21st of May and Rebecca Cronin joins us on the phone now with details about the very exciting programme of events. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rebecca, you're very welcome to the programme and congratulations on the fifth year of Ballymaloo Lit Fest. 
Thanks very much, Sharon, and uh, it's great to hear you again and, and have a chat with you again this year. You've made a few changes this year, and one of them is the actual, what you're kind of packaging it as, because it's changed to a food and drinks literacy festival at Ballymaloo. Why have you why have you done that? Um, I suppose the, the seed was planted last year at the festival um, within the symposium, Our Food, What's the Story?, um, I, you know, we, we've moved into a literacy festival and just to define a food literacy festival, um, it's basically the understanding of your, your food choices, the impact that they have on your health, the environment and the economy. So it's understanding the holistic picture about food, where it comes from, how it's produced, if it's good for you, if it's not good for you and so forth. And it is very much a celebration of food and wine and the mixture of events. You have the cookery demonstrations, there's lunches, workshops, talks, like you really have something for everybody there. Exactly. I mean, we do, we have the foraging um, on the seashore or on the land. We've got like workshops for cookery demonstrations, as you mentioned, but really it's, it is, it's, it's for it's for everybody, and at that, if there is no event that anybody would like to actually attend, they can go to just the the fringe aspect, which is a heap of of free events, but again, all based around education and food education. But that's you know you can you can access that for five euros a day, and you know there's plenty to see and do, and there's loads of food stalls and this ginormous big shed, which we call the big shed, and um, I think you know you can come and. Bring your children along and enjoy the day with them in the gardens, around the gardens. And then if you happen to want to go to one of the events and you can ask a friend or your partner to mind the child while you go into one of the um, main programmed events. Well, let's talk specifically about some of the events. And the first one I want to highlight is the one that involves West Limerick's Eman McDonnell on the Saturday morning. That's right. Um, Iman and uh, Cleaner were here last year as well, and they did a talk and presentation um, all around their Lens and Larder series. And this year, again, they're going to come back and give a, give a talk together about um, Lens and Larder, about food styling. And, um, you know, uh, they do these series of events throughout the, the country. And we're really delighted that they can come and give a talk about what it is that they do together at LitFest this year. And I mentioned lunches there and one lunch which has been very popular, so popular that it's sold out, but I'm very I'm the very proud owner of a ticket to it, is a lunch with Robin Gill, who will be very familiar to listeners yeah. if they're following MasterChef, the good. celebrity version of MasterChef Ireland. That's right, and good good work. Well done well done you on getting those tickets sorted. Um they are, yeah, our lunches and our dinners are always every year very popular and we're delighted to have Robin Gill back um in Ireland. Well he's he comes back and forth of course a lot and he's at many different events and given his work with MasterChef uh, as well he is well known and he's well liked and of course that's because he's a lovely guy I first saw him at an event in Dublin about a year ago and I read a few articles about him and I actually went to MAD in Denmark this summer and two girls that were travelling with me, <clears throat> Hilary and Ali, they did a presentation on kitchen culture and and basically the the negative side of, of working within kitchens and they read out aloud a letter that Robin had written about his own personal experience. Um, of working in a kitchen at a young age and how he was really badly bullied and it could have really affected his future, but it didn't. He put his head down and he continued. Anyway, he'll be giving a talk about that as well at Live Fest. He'll be doing a lunch, but he'll also be giving a talk about, about terrifying kitchens. And I read the, an article that he wrote just before Christmas about that very experience. Exactly, that's right. So it'll further expand on that again and he'll just tell our audience um, how just... It needs to be addressed, and for the future of of our chefs and the youth in in just the culinary um, professional circle. I mean, we're already seeing a decline in chefs and people in restaurants and hospitality are finding it very hard to recruit staff, and and you'd be wondering why. It's probably because of the reputation that kitchens have of of long hours, uh, low pay, and and very hard conditions, really. 
Well, I am very much looking forward to that lunch, I have to say. And another event that I'm looking forward to is an in-conversation event. And it's with Brian McGinn, who is the executive producer and director of Chef's Table, which is a Netflix programme. I actually have never seen the programme. You've never seen it, haven't you? Okay, well, oh, it's one of my favourite. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of um, chef TV and, you know, a lot of culinary cooking programs online and you know they've kind of taken a lot of the same format which is an educational this is how you cook something and this is little nuggets of information but this is a slightly different well not slightly it's an extremely different um view and take on the world behind um behind the kitchen door and he's done a fantastic job and the series is just so beautifully filmed and the points that he highlights in it without really you know making it really obvious it's just the message throughout each of the each of the shows are wonderful and he seems I haven't met him myself I've just obviously read about him a bit but also talked to him over emails and he's a really funny nice guy and he has this dog called, I think it's Finn, and he calls him Finn McGinn, and I've been following his little antics on social media as well, and you can kind of tell someone's character through, through the way that they, they voice themselves through social media. It definitely sounds like there's an Irish connection or two there with yeah, the I'd names. Say, I'd say so. Well, we look forward to that as well, and it, there is a great mix there of Irish people and international guests. Yeah, we we have we try every year to have a nice balance between the two, and you know it's not just about inviting Irish people. We invite them because they're on the same level uh, we we believe as as the others from from across the seas. We want to make sure that our program is always the highest quality that we can deliver, really. And it's very much complemented with events that have a little bit of a focus or a complete focus on alcohol of various different descriptions. Yep, we have a full entire drinks program, which takes place in the drinks theatre. We're very good at our names of our venues, aren't we? Um, And then, yeah, each day from about 10 a.m. in the morning until about 6 or 7 in the evening, we'll have a series of wine talks and whiskey talks and also cocktail making and craft beers, of course, and Irish craft ciders. So it's full as well. You must be spoiled for choice whenever it comes to identifying people to talk about those various different topics. Well, not like it's not as as easy as you, you know, you think. It's as said earlier. We want to make sure that the program is of the highest quality and that the speakers are the most knowledgeable in their field and that they deliver something that is, a, you know, world class presentation. So in order to do that, it's, you know, it's hard to to always get. um, And that's what we try and strive for every time. On Sunday then, one of the final events on Sunday is with the lovely Trish Dezean, who comes from my neck of the woods up in the north. That's right. Trish is going to be down. This is her first Lit Fest, actually. I think a couple of times before she may have been out of the country or I'm I'm not sure. um, Of course, she was working on her book as well. Um, but I met her again um, up in Tankardstown House. And uh, again, <laughs> bringing the dog aspect, she had a dog with her as well. And I was like, oh, I came over and I had big chats with her and chatted about her dog. And then we got, um, let me just, you know, got chatting later on in that evening. And I came back and I told Rory and Doreen Allen that the presentation Trish gave was very important and had a very strong message. And um, it, would, it would fit well within our program as well at LitFest so we should invite her and and that's where and we did and sure she's a neighbour there down living in West Cork now yep not so far away she's just down the road so for you then whenever you're organising all these different events for the programme there must be one or two that are your little favourites Yep, every year I meet people or, see, I don't actually get to go to the events fully from start to finish. Of course, if there's something I'm I'm desperately trying to hear or see, then I will get my head in the door and and listen for a few minutes. But I don't get to enjoy the full full blow of the, the, the talk, which generally, you know, by the end of it, you're totally inspired. Well, that's what I can see from people leaving the talks. But, um... I get to go, I suppose, behind the scenes and have little cups of tea or whatever with some of the present presenters, and, and it's there that I meet these wonderful characters. I am I'm interested to, to meet and, and hang out a little bit with Brian McGinn. I think he, he's going to be a quirky, interesting guy. And it's always nice. Ben is coming back, Ben Reed, with his partner, Sashana. And um, 
he's always lovely to have around and a bit of fun. David Pryor, who's he's now the international editor of Condé Nast Traveller. He's Australian, but mainly kind of, well, he's always on a plane, but he, he lives in is based in New York. He's a good friend. It's going to be great to see him back. And then new people that I haven't met before that I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting. Isabel Legeron, she is the... Um, She's a crusader of the natural wine movement. I think she's going to be a, a fun character to get to know over the weekend. And I don't know. I mean, I know most of these people now from n- not necessarily having been to Litfest, but just having met them at different events um, in, you know, on the culinary scene, I guess. And Claudia Roden, of course, having her back again after she came to the first Litfest in 2013. And... Um, you know, we're just honoured, really, to have Claudia back again. She's an extremely wonderful, wonderful woman, and her books are absolutely gorgeous. And that's just one of the many events that are sold out. So if people are interested in going to a particular event, your advice would definitely be to, to sign up sooner yeah. rather than later. Again, back to, I mentioned the symposium earlier in the conversation. She'll be talking again in the symposium about the importance of food in culture. Most of these speakers who are doing individual um, events outside of the symposium, they will in fact be speaking again in the grain store over the weekend. Um, And our theme this year for the symposium is responsibility. And it's a theme that we're we're obviously weaving through the entire weekend, um, which is a really obviously important and vital conversation that we need to have. And we need to keep highlighting the responsibility of all of us as as buyers, as consumers, but also as chefs and as leaders and policy makers, everybody has a responsibility to, to further help or fix the, the broken food system that is currently um, the way it is at the moment. So if people get on to litfest.ie, that's the best place for them to go and get their tickets. It's the 19th to the 21st of May. I look forward to seeing you there and thanks a million for talking to Always. us. Always. We'll see you down in the big shed for a bit of a boogie and, Absolutely. and get out late, late in the evening to, to enjoy and meet everybody again. We certainly will. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thanks very much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far in the show tonight, Ron Forrestal has helped us celebrate Valentine's Day with some lovely French wine suggestions. And just before the break, Rebecca Cronin filled us in with details of some of the many events taking place during the 5th Lit Fest. And there's another idea for a present this evening if you didn't get round to getting something already. Get on to litfest.ie and surprise your loved one with some tickets to some of those fantastic events. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the shows so far, it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on my website, SharonNoonan.com. Still to come tonight, Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, has details about what we can expect to enjoy in the February issue and we have a surprise for you regarding the March issue, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Before that, because of the day that's in it, namely Valentine's Day, I'm going to share a chat I had in Listowel recently with Roisin Meany, an award-winning Limerick-based author, and Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Ladies, we're going to have an oil chat about romantic food, Ooh. romantic meals and all of that. And I want to open up the floor with oysters. I do like an oyster now, but I have to say, I don't think Michael Noonan has anything to fear after I've had an oyster. What exactly do you mean by that, Sharon Noonan? <laughs> I couldn't possibly say on the airwaves. Well, I have to say, the only oyster I'd be interested in is a glass of Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc. I am so anti-oysters, you wouldn't believe it. Even accompanied by a creamy pint, which I am very partial to. No, no, no. And is that all shellfish for you, or is it just oysters? Do you like mussels, for example? I am an anti-mussel person as well. Now, the only shellfish I really like is crab, but it has to be out of the shell. I'm just funny like that. You, you just like it prepared, you don't want any work in it, because crab is something that you serve a lot of here, Lizzie, isn't it? Yeah, um, we serve crab on a weekly basis here, but we kind of marry it with avocado and really fresh kind of funky foods. 
we do it more kind of salady. We serve it cold. Um, I love seafood. Absolutely adore seafood. Um, oysters wouldn't be my forte now. I wouldn't be that gone on them. But every other type of shellfish, I absolutely adore. Um, when we go on holidays, we would um, we would lovingly and beautifully share a big bowl of mussels between the two of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I love I, I love um, shellfish and seafood. It's one of my favourites. You have a good shellfish story, I believe, Roisin. Oh, I do, I do. Um, my first love, Nick, I met him way back when I was in my 20s. And he took me out for a romantic meal when I visited his home place on the Isle of Bute in Scotland. Uh, he had ordered lobster for the two of us. He had phoned the restaurant specially that day and ordered two big lobsters, one each. My heart sank to my boots when I saw it. He had just... He had picked the most romantic meal he could think of, not knowing that it was absolutely the last thing I would have ordered. I did my best. I picked at it, trying not to look at the shell as I did. Um, yeah, it, 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 suffice to say, the relationship didn't last much longer. Oh my God, the Isle of Butte is a bit of a blast for the past because a guy I went to school with was great pals with a guy from the Isle of Butte who actually played the bagpipes in our house one time for his 21st birthday, so that's going back a few years. It's a lovely part of Scotland, to be sure. Where, where exactly is it? Is it Edinburgh? It's on the West Coast. Mm. So you have fond memories of it, despite the lobster. Yeah, apart from the lobster, uh, the Isle of Butte is beautiful. The only thing that puts me off lobster is there's a lot of work to it if you are if you are having to get into it yourself. Do you find preparing shellfish is a bit of an ordeal, Lizzie? Um, yes, I do, but I think that when you put the work in, you reap the rewards and the benefits. So, yeah, um, shelling, um, prawns and, and uh, crab is a laborious job but um, when you get the end product it's um, it's well worth it well I, I prefer coming in here to get the end product while you're hard work <laughs> Roisin mentioned that romantic meal tell me about the most recent romantic meal you and Eric have shared um, we our romantic meals are a few and far between now um, we have two little boys and uh, they tend to always come first but I suppose the last time we went out to dinner alone was in Daroka and Ballybunion. And we sat upstairs looking out over the sea. And uh, when we were walking in, you could hear the, the waves crashing. So it was really, really nice. And we sat down and we were actually able to have a conversation. Um, it was the first conversation, a proper one, I'd say probably in about six months since we opened here. Um, because we've been so busy that... Uh, work and the kids seem to come first all the time but Daroka was really nice and we actually had seafood that night would you believe and um, yeah it was lovely but I remember the first time that Eric ever ever cooked for me and um, <clears throat> we were living in London together so we were we were we would, we, I had just finished college I just moved to London so our pennies um, were few and far between so um, I remember Eric made me breakfast one morning and he came out and the Poles eat an awful lot of what they call canapes, canapke. Um, so they're like an open sandwich, an open breakfast sandwich. So they eat them a lot in the morning. So you would have like a slice of bread and like really nicely chopped onions and peppers and really nice um, with some cheese as well. But it's their presentation and Eric is a real perfectionist. Like everything has to be perfectly aligned and straight on the plate and the whole lot. And I remember he brought out the sandwiches to me and he had four different types of sandwiches and I thought, oh my god this is just absolutely wonderful he said, is everything okay for you Lizzie? and I went, yeah I, and he said, would you like it any, any anything different about it? like, do you like the Polish food? and I said, yeah would you be able to toast it? but the Poles don't use toasters at all they don't toast their bread no, 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 they never toast the bread and I could see his face just going oh my god, because he was living with loads of Polish people at times so and there's no toaster but didn't he go out the crater that day and bought a toaster so we'd be able to toast the bread for me. I knew I knew he was the one <laughs> he went and bought a toaster for me well, the first meal I ever made Michael Noonan was chilli con carne and trust me opening that packet and everything really you know that was a big deal for me and emptying that tin of kidney beans into the into the colander and draining them and imagine my disgust then whenever I was clearing the table and all the kidney beans were piled up around the side of the plate and it was like you don't like kidney beans then yeah but when, when I 
Eric and I met first, he never knew that I, I, could, I could cook. He didn't think I had any interest in it. And, um, that didn't last long, I'd say. No, it didn't, no. no. Um, he, yeah, when I started cooking then, and he, he, I'd say he thought, yes, all his Christmases had come at once, because uh, we never had the time. I was in hotel management at the time, so you would start work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon you could work up until two, two or three o'clock in the morning and Eric was chefing so we never had you never really had time at home and it was it was for people who were who just finished college you know that like we, we socialized a lot and you know drank copious amounts of wine and champagne but um, yeah when I got when we kind of settled down then and uh, and I started cooking I'd say he he just went oh my god I remember him saying to me one day I never knew you could do this yeah, well, I'm a woman of many, many hidden talents. talents, yeah. Well, cooking wouldn't be one of my hidden talents, according to Michael Noon, and I'm very lucky that he <laughs> definitely is the better cook in our house. But you cook a lot, Routine. Oh, Sharon, I don't really. I bake. Baking would be my mm. thing. Yeah, I love to bake. But cooking, no, no. I, I'd love somebody to cook my dinner, and I'd happily bake a cake for them, you know, in return. And I bake, uh, I think I baked eight Christmas cakes last Christmas for various people. Um, I think it's my therapy. When I finish the chapter of the day, I switch off the computer and I turn on the radio and get out my bowl and my weighing scales and I'm in heaven. And do you think you prefer baking to cooking because baking is quite scientific, that it, you must use this much of each ingredient, that you can't really be a free spirit with it? Probably, yeah. I think I feel safer within the confines of baking, yeah. But having said that, they don't always turn out right. I've had my baking disasters. But even then, it's, 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 it's a bit of fun. You're blessed with talent in both departments. Yeah, I love both of them. I, I just find cooking and baking so therapeutic. Yeah. I love it. I would stay in the kitchen all day long. Would you? Oh, yeah. I absolutely adore it. But here, you know, I have to be out the front here as well to meet people and, you know, yes. to, um, to show face. But I would... St- and I've always been like that. Um, I remember when I finished secondary school, um, I was offered a place... Um, in Cork to do hotel and catering management and I was offered something else in Tralee in IT because I was never very um, studious I was always very much hands on I could work and I could you know put stuff together and but never very studious I never had much interest in books but anyway my mother insisted that I go to Tralee to do business studies but it, it just wasn't for me and then two years later I ended up going to CIT and doing um, hotel and catering management, um, but I always had it in me. Like my my lecturer, um, my chef lecturer in in Cork, he actually wanted me to, to go on and to come away from hotel management and go in chefing. I never did it because the whole idea of being a manager in a hotel there was something so alluring and about it. I and I wanted to concentrate on that. But you know the way sometimes you look back and you think, what if? What if I, I oh, concentrated? Yeah. yeah, everyone probably has a what if story. Yeah. Well, talking of stories, then before we finish, Roisin, you have a book coming out this summer. What can you tell us about it? Is there a bit of romance in it for us oh. to look forward to? Well, like all the books, there's a bit of romance in it, and there's a bit of everything in it, really. Um, it's called The Street Where You Live, and it's it's centered around. A mother and daughter, an adult daughter, and it's, it spans about eight weeks of the summer. And incredibly, because it's set in Ireland, the weather is good, so they're actually having a heat wave. And the mother and daughter happen to be in a choir, and the choir are rehearsing for a concert. So it kind of takes up the six weeks of rehearsal, plus another maybe two weeks after it, when everyone is in recovery after the concert. And we can expect that out in June. 1st of June is the official publication date. I hope you'll make the launch. I will, of course. And Lizzie, you have exciting plans here. You have a few events up your sleeve that you can't reveal the details of at the moment, so people should really have a look at the Facebook page. Yeah, if you, um, I, I'll be updating um, Facebook regularly with the events. Um, we've loads. There's so much that we want to do here and so much that we, we are going to do, but everything takes time when you want to do it properly, and I want to make sure that everybody that comes here has 
a really enjoyable experience and um, really good food and I suppose all that is time but we do we'll have some lovely lovely events during the summer coming up because you have your wine license now yeah we got the wine license yeah yeah and so we have some beautiful wines paired to our menu at the moment now so with the crab we have some lovely crabs and wines to match that and um, some really nice hearty beef and lamb dishes and we have some beautiful reds to go with that as well Um, so Ron actually gave us a hand to do it and um, yeah so we have some lovely things coming up and we're really really excited for the future of Lizzie's Little Kitchen Fantastic well best of luck with that Lizzie and of course Roisin with the the launch of the new book and thanks very much for chatting to me Thank you You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was in Listowel having a romantic chat with Roisin Meany and Lizzie Lyons. Earlier in the programme, Ron Forrestal had French wine recommendations for us and Rebecca Cronin had details about the programme planned for this year's Lit Fest at Ballymaloo. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on SharonNoonan.com, or you can also subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or find it there on the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's to find out more about the February issue of Easy Food magazine with editor Caroline Gray. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Good evening, Caroline. How are you tonight? Very good, thanks. How are you doing? Great. We're in the middle of February. I must wish you a happy Valentine's Day because it is Valentine's night. Yes, and you too. You're very good to give up your romantic night to talk to us, so we Uh, we do really appreciate that. (laughs) Anything, anything for you, Sharon. (laughs) And the February issue of Easy Food magazine, I was, whenever I opened it, I thought, oh, there's a double cover here because Mm -hmm. there is a cover and it's all celebrity MasterChef Ireland. Yes. So we have... Um, kind of an exclusive behind-the-scenes section just on that, the Celebrity Master Chef Ireland, and we're kind of going over, um, you know, all of the contestants, some of their recipes from the first few episodes, and just some of their kind of behind-the-scenes tips and tricks for kind of getting through the Master Chef kitchen. So we're really excited to have this, and um, like you said, it's it's a kind of a reverse cover, so you'll get your copy of the February issue. And then just flipping it over, you'll see um, the Celebrity MasterChef Ireland special cover. And we have this feature sponsored by DID Electrical. So, yeah, we have uh, about eight pages in there just of, like I said, recipes and tips and kind of cool pictures and everything. So It certainly is. Now, I'm just flicking through it here. And I have to say, I'm not usually a fan of MasterChef, but I am really enjoying the Celebrity MasterChef Ireland. Yeah, it's really good. And I think it's kind of such a fun way to sort of see these faces in these people that you recognize and you know in such a different setting altogether. So, you know, it's like, you, you know, these things like I would have never known that like Samantha Mumbo was such a keen cook or, you know, Simon Delaney, he, I think he's wanted to be on Celebrity Master Chef. He wanted to be on the first series actually, but his schedule just didn't really allow for it. So, you know, you feel like them who are totally in love with cooking. And then you have um, like Oshin McConville, who it was his first time ever cooking. So, I guess apparently his wife sort of encouraged him to, you know, take part in the series. And um, it was literally one of his first times sort of getting into the kitchen at all. So, like you said, it's sort of fun kind of seeing these people you have sort of conceptions of already, you know, in such a different scenario altogether. But is it really Oshin McConville's first time in the kitchen? I find that so hard to believe based (laughs) on his skill. That's the thing. We're all kind of thinking like, you know, is is it really, is he just kind of one of these, you know, cooking sharks or he's saying that, no, I'm never in there. And then, you know, he's blowing them away with his recipes. But, you know, at the same time, because he's, you know, a sportsman, he could just have that competitive edge to him where, you know, he doesn't want to, like, let himself down maybe. But like you said, I mean, the stuff that he's been cooking the first few episodes has been truly impressive, even for somebody who would have been familiar with cooking and in the kitchen. So 
who knows, maybe it's the best case of beginner's luck ever. And you mentioned Simon Delaney there, and I actually met Simon Delaney, I'd say it must have been last September, just mm. before they started filming, and he oh, was right. he was very excited about taking part. He was big into his cooking, so I could not believe it when he did not know what nori and I don't know if I'm saying it right wagami which I certain I knew even I know what both of those are so I was amazed he didn't know what they were I know I think that's the thing it's kind of you see these um you know like that because he you know I would I'd see every once in a while at um when could we do an easy food slot on uh Saturday and at tv3 and he's always so into the cooking segment and uh you know it is something that he's very passionate about so yeah and you know what like it could be just the cameras are rolling, and the one thing, you know, after having spoken to a few of them and kind of doing this feature, the one thing that they say over and over again, that even though it is so much fun and there's such great support, once you're in those MasterChef kitchens, it's just a whole new ball game. You know, like you have to be totally on your game and the, the littlest slip-up. Of course, to them, it might just be a second or two in the kitchen, but of course, when we're watching and, you know, it's edited for our entertainment as well, it, you know, it can seem like a huge blunder, but... um you know, fair play to all of them for kind of making it through. I would have to really kind of amp myself up to go through something like that, I think. And what a dark horse Monday is. Who would ever have thought? I know. Like, again, it's just thinking of, you know, what you associate certain people with. And, you know, I mean, we have this recipe, um, one of his in here for these seared tuna tostadas. And I've had something similar before and, you know, kind of um, having seen him do the recipe, I mean, they look amazing. Like I would, I would be delighted to sit down to a restaurant and have that served to me. And then, you know, maybe to have been told that Monday prepared it. I mean, it would kind of just blow your socks off. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm loving the chemistry between the two judges. I think Daniel Clifford and Robin Gill work very well together, and I think they're very Definitely. kind, empathetic, but fair judges. Exactly. I think, you know, they're coming from it from a place where, you know, they're both such celebrated chefs and have these really amazing restaurants, um, but they do have that nice kind of, you know, down-to-earth sort of um, air about them where, again, the contestants have said that, you know, when they're in the kitchens and they're, you know, they have the support from one another, and of course there's always that they've been intimidated by the judges because, you know, they're cooking, they want to really impress them, but what I was, you know, what we heard time and time again was that they were so supportive and, you could tell that they were just so passionate about it. And I think that fed through to a lot of the contestants where, you know, they realized that, you know, Robert and Daniel themselves were just so into the food and so into, you know, the provenance of the ingredients that it kind of, it rubbed off on them and it just kind of helped them up their game. So I agree. I think they're, they're such great choices for the judges. And they've changed the, the night and the time it's on now this Thursday. So we haven't seen it this week, so we don't know who has gone out this week. But who do you think is going to win it? Oh, I don't know. It's a, like I said, it's such a tough one. I mean, I would lo- like I was saying, I would love to see you know somebody like Simon who was really passionate about food win. But at the same time, I think it'd be such a fun kind of twist if somebody like Oshin did kind of you know pull out from behind and just kind of take it as his own. But I. I I'd love to see, obviously, I'd be happy to see any of them, but I'd really be rooting for them too. <laughs> I think Samantha Mumba is going to be hard to beat. I think so. You know, she has, and I think especially when she's talking a lot about the dishes that she would have had, you know, in her childhood and the flavors and everything, it's, I mean, they're just, they just seem gorgeous. Again, I'd be delighted to have any of those dishes myself. So I think she definitely has a good few cards up her sleeve with that. Okay, well, we better talk quickly now about Easy Food Magazine. And uh, uh, just to let listeners know that the 28th of February is Pancake Tuesday. And if you need some pancake inspiration, then this month's issue is definitely, it has it all there. And I'm going to just highlight one that I'm going to try. And that's the rye and chia, I'm not, am I saying that right? Chia yep. crepes yep. with yep. avocado. I won't have the poached egg, but I'll have everything else. Because yeah. I have chia seeds at home and I, I'm always looking for a use for them. So I'm going to give that a go on Pancake Tuesday. Definitely. And that's, you know, what we tried with this issue is we always, you know, want to include kind of the basic go-to recipes for, you know, whether you like the thin crepes-like pancakes or the fluffy American-style pancakes, and then just loads of others. So something like this is a perfect way if you do have chia seeds in your press, you know, because a little goes such a long way with that. Um, This is a nice way to kind of use them um, in a really wholesome, healthy type of pancake. And Chia seeds just help the pancake kind of, you know, cook up and, you know, get its texture very, like, in a, in a nice, easy way. So I think this is definitely one of our favorites that we had, you know, like you said, with the avocado and the fresh tomatoes in there is just gorgeous. And um, 
I loved it with without the poached eggs as well. But I will say, if you're a fan of poached eggs, definitely try it on there. And I love on Pancake Tuesday making the whole meal about the pancakes, like having the exactly. savoury and the sweet, as opposed mm-hmm. to just having the sweet. That's the thing. I mean, some of you know our office is such a it's such a like a house divided sometimes because some of us have such a sweet tooth, and then others would you know be totally savory all the time so pancake tuesday is such a great it's such a fun day just you know for everybody but especially when you're into food because you can kind of do so much with it so um you know just like you said in terms of making it into the whole meal like one of our all-time favorites is just a bit of like nice cheese and ham and sauteed mushrooms and then you know finish it off with any kind of great dessert creation you can make Absolutely. Sounds good. And if you need any help with the flipping, you have a solution there on page uh, is it page 13. Yeah. So we have um, kind of just a fun little section of kitchen gadgets in this issue. So we have kind of a nice little pancake flipper. It's actually, it's just from Argos, so it's super easy to get a hold of. I mean, it's always fun to kind of, you know, experiment and see if you can actually do the pancake flip yourself. But if you're not feeling as confident, this is the perfect, you know, it's kind of a, it looks like nearly two pans on a hinge. So put the pancake in, close it up, and then just flip it right over and you've guaranteed perfect pancakes for the day. And no fear of them landing on the floor or anything That's like that. It. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to make it, <laughs> you don't want to be feeding the dog more pancakes than yourself. For exactly. The night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One recipe that caught my eye is the sweet potato chili because I have children who absolutely adore Uh, there's a sweet potato and chickpea curry that Lizzie from Lizzie's Little Kitchen who was on the programme earlier my children love it so I'm going to give the sweet potato chilli a go at home and I I know now if they don't fancy it I certainly will Oh this is such a great one too this is you know we did a feature on you know gluten-free cooking so a lot of gluten-free diets are sometimes lacking in fibre and so we have this kind of a nice suite of recipes here that really kind of up the fiber content. And this is one of them, especially from the sweet potatoes and there's black beans in it. And I have to say, this is one of these recipes that just blew everybody away. Our designer actually, even when we were feeding it through and we had actually had this chili in our test kitchen, she was asking right away for the recipe because it was just, it's actually just gorgeous. It's kind of a nice mix of nearly a stew and just, um, just almost like a flavorsome soup as well. So it's perfect for... Um, you know, if there's a bit of a blustery night, but it really fills you up and you feel really good after it. So it's definitely a keeper. Well, just quickly then, before you go, Caroline, you always have some readers that form your taste team every month and they get to try out a few recipes for you and you can exclusively reveal who your taste team is for the March issue. (laughs) Well, that's it. We have... uh, I think you'd be the best one to have the exclusive reveal, Sharon, as... um, well, I'm, no. I'm delighted that the best possible <laughs> taste team, That's myself, it. Ron Forrestal and Rosemary Venice, who, you know, Ron and Rosemary contribute every month to the show, have we've the three of us have each been given a different recipe and we will be cooking that up between now and the next issue. And you can and the readers can find or the listeners can find out how we get on whenever the March issue comes out. So thanks a million for giving us the opportunity oh, to do that. I know we had had you, um, you know, your team took part in this last year as well and it's just such a fun way to kind of always get people involved with the taste team anyway so um, just having kind of the expert voices like yourselves I'm sure the readers are absolutely going to be thrilled with kind of with what you see with the easy food recipes anyway and kind of any tips or tricks you have for them as well. Absolutely well we're looking forward to that thanks again for the opportunity and thanks very much for coming on tonight to tell us all about the February issue which is out in all good news agents supermarkets and all the usual outlets at the moment and it costs three euros fifty and I think it's worth every cent. Great stuff. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Caroline, and we'll talk to you again next month. All right. Talk to you then. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. So that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much to Ron Forrestal, Rebecca Cronin, Roisin Meany, Lizzie Lyons and Caroline Gray. Enjoy the remaining few hours of Valentine's Day or if you're listening to the show repeat on Wednesday morning, have a great day. And until next week, bon appétit. <laughs> Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!